Abby had to explain to Sheila Larkin, who of course plays Scully's mom, how her grandson was given away, and Sheila was just like, what? They gave away the baby? <laughs> like, she had no idea. It was, she was furious. It was full 10 minutes of me trying to explain logic, and I gave up. I'm like, no, there's not logic. I'm sorry. It was funny. She's like, oh, men wrote this. You can tell that men wrote this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. yeah. That's what she said. That's what she said, yeah. And welcome to another episode of X-Files Talk X-Files. The only podcast that would rather crawl up an obese man's anus than deal with the TSA. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your host, David Hold, and joining me tonight from X-Files.News, I have Tiffany, Avi, and Garrett. Hello to all of you. Hello. Hello. So, today's show, we are going to talk the middle section of Season 8, we're going to do a short kill through to This Is Not Happening. Before we get into the episode discussion, we do, of course, have a listener question. This week, it's from Joe Carroll, and he says, I'm about to introduce my roommate to the X-Files. What episode would you show her first? I want to hook her right away with a really good one that requires no background knowledge. So who wants to take this one first? <laughs> I think Garrett and I have the exact same episode. Uh, yeah, because he stole mine. <laughs> no, it was mine first. No, it was oh, mine first. <laughs> okay, then. Well, somebody share it with us. <laughs> Go ahead, Garrett. Well, I think you should show home. Um, yeah, it's a good episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same one. I don't know, it's perfect. Like, I mean, the you don't have to know anything going into it. It's like one of the best months of the week's. Uh, the relationship between Mulder and Scully is still cool, it's like so you get kind of that, episode, um, yeah. and it kind of just has like the overall sense of the show without being like too crazy. I mean, it's really easy to follow, but it's still got a lot of stylized elements to it that are pretty you know consistent throughout the show. So I think it's a a good intro uh, into what it's about without having to go too deep into it. Although your roommate might want to move out soon after you show her that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be for bad luck, but that's okay. <laughs> See, my choices, I had three choices because I couldn't make up my mind, of course. And it was either Humbug or Bad Blood or Postmother Prometheus. Uh, okay. N- none of them require background, really. Or, like, if they do, it's, like, so little. And... What did like what made my choice hard actually, and I couldn't pinpoint, you know, a decision per se was that they were both comedy, or that there the three of them are comedy, yeah. and I wanted something serious. But most of the time, anything that was dramatic was related to the, you know, the the mythology. So I think beyond hard. beyond the sea would be the best, probably dramatic one. I think to introduce yeah, someone. Yeah, but still, you would like. 
there's still some mythology there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's one that I considered as well because I was thinking go for one of the earlier seasons mm-hmm. so that you know you could then get into the show and you weren't seeing too far ahead in in terms of anything. Um, but I think you know the roles are kind of reversed in that one in terms of who's the believer and stuff. So the one I landed on was Pusher because I figured that's a really solid good episode and you you can just sort of jump straight into it it's kind of like yeah. a movie it works on its yeah. own so that's true too so the correct yeah. answer joe is pusher unless unless you're trying to vacate that room so you can get somebody else in in which case home would be the choice <laughs> if you julian anderson it's bad blood all the time <laughs> yep all right so uh let's kick this off then I was actually going to talk about Shawkill and Salvage together, if nobody minds, because... Oh, I'm fine with that option, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> they are both so lackluster, and after <laughs> after the run of episodes, some really great uh, standalones that we've come off of, I mean, Patience, Roadrunners, Invocation, Red Rum, Via Negativa, into these two, um, the drop in quality is completely noticeable. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. That's these are two that I don't ever go back and rewatch, and I didn't for this. Um, That's okay because Garrett did. So <laughs> <laughs> I know Garrett has some stuff to say on this before he does. I'm just gonna say we have one episode about a guy who can see through walls, and that's it. The other one serves as yet another nod to Robert Patrick's role in Terminator Two. <laughs> um. What I thought was interesting about Surekill is actually, it's written really, really well. Like, I mean, it has like all the plot to be a good episode, but it's terrible, and I don't know why. Um, like, what was so funny I thought about when they're explaining like how he could see through walls was that like he could see different wavelengths, uh, you know, other than visible light. And but the problem with that is is that like he's getting off on seeing this girl take a shower, but she would be in you know, it wouldn't look like visual light to him. So, I mean, he's imagining her, or he would see her naked, but not really. I mean, it wouldn't look like Playboy or anything, you know? He would just see, like, the heat elements or whatever. And I thought that was, like, really, really weird. Um, I don't know. The episode was kind of bizarre. And what I thought was interesting about it, though, is that I've seen this um, in, like, a lot of other shows since this episode. Like, I know they did this uh, similar thing in Alpha, or the sci-fi show Alphas. Yeah, um, And I was trying to think of another show that I've seen it in. But I think in Alphas, he could actually, like, manipulate the bullet's path or something. It's the kind of concept that, you know, if you have, if you watch a TV sitcom, there's those sort of concepts that come up and get recycled between every single TV sitcom. Yeah, there's some sort of misunderstanding and it translates whether you're watching Friends or Everybody Loves Raymond or Cheers or whatever else (laughs) this is this is one of those sort of sci-fi concepts to me the guy who can see through walls I'm pretty sure that we're gonna see some some of this on like Scorpion or something (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's nice they kind of tied it at least into the fact that he could do his job well because he could see the rats through the wall um which is kind of cool, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird that there were twins and Doggett hates twins. It was like, I don't know, it, it was just such a weird deal. And, you know, the fact that there was like that polarization where like he's like, one of them's like almost legally blind or whatever. And the other has supervision. 
It was Garrett great. paid way more attention to this episode than I did. <laughs> I, did like, way more. I, was, feel, I feel like the episode as a story that would build on like what the X-Files is, it's lackluster, but at the same time, it does deliver a, a little bit of growth between the relationship between Doggett and Scully. And like, it's like, oh, they're comfortable among themselves, even though like you don't get to see all that much, which I feel it was kind of the intention for the writers because they didn't want to continue build, building upon the thing that Doggett is there to, you know, to replace Mulder. Replace yeah. Mulder. So that was, I think that's to like, kind of like, you know, bottle episodes where like, oh, well, you know, we keep going until we can hit the next one that's going to be really big and that we can continue building upon. But like, I feel otherwise it would have been probably... <laughs> a lot more controversial in terms of what the writers did for the show on season eight and season nine. So, Yeah. Um, the only thing that I could, uh, like I said, I'm not a fan of this episode. Don't really go back and rewatch it. And I did today, but I did go on Wikipedia. Um, fans of Breaking Bad will obviously notice uh, Michael Bowen, who's in this mm-hmm. episode, is in Breaking yeah. Bad. And apparently a pre-fame James Franco plays officer number two. Yep. So there you go. I didn't yep. even notice that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I tried to f- see uh, f- see if I could find like a screen cap from it, but there's just one shot where he's like blurred out in the background. <laughs> so... I actually watched the episode today, and I didn't even notice. <laughs> and he's officer number two, so it's probably not a huge role. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everyone was on the Excels at some point. Yes. Not as big as officer number one. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> So, Salvage, um, again, same sort of thing. It, it's at that same sort of level for me. It's it, it just doesn't feel like that inspired of an episode. It's not that compelling to me. Um, no, I mean, it was really lazy. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I had to look at I mean, who the writer was for it, and it's Jeffrey Bell, who I evidently have a love-hate relationship with because <laughs> I was not a fan of Rain King or Alpha, but I did really like Goldberg Variation and Signs and Wonders, and I guess his uh, his creativity was out by the time he got to season eight, so uh, this is the episode he turned in, but uh, <laughs> it's not well, as bad as Fight Club. I think the problem, though, is that the elements that he pulled from were just so much better than this could ever hope to be. Um, and that just, it made the whole episode kind of fall apart. You know, I mean, I noticed that, you know, there's that kind of tie in with Terminator two, um, you know, and it was based off of Tetsuo, uh, the Iron Man, which is like a, a really great, 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 uh, film, uh, that I used to have on VHS. And now I'm kind of sad that I couldn't find it today, but, um, and, you know, and that was based off Akira, which is even cooler. So it had all those ties, but then this episode brought none of that. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, the, the episode was, I don't really remember that much from it, to be honest. Yeah, so far as I can remember, it's a pretty straightforward sort of, this guy has been poisoned by somebody he works with who is breaking the law, and he then becomes a monster, like a toxic Avenger, if you will, and just <laughs> seeks revenge on the guy who poisoned him. And... Yeah, but then he found out the guy that poisoned him didn't even actually poison him or something like that, right? Like, they just delivered it to the dump site where he, the salvage yard, and he was like, oh yeah, you didn't actually try to hurt me, you're just dumping stuff in a salvage yard. Like, I don't know, it was really bad. I mean, like, he was trying to get revenge when there was nobody to get revenge at. I mean, it was 
boring. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I mean, just because, like, Terminator 2 was so cool, and, you know, and Tetsuo was amazing, and then Akira was amazing, and they're all built up on, like, this whole structure of, like, what it means to, like, um, you know, to have power and have uh, this ability and all this stuff. And then in this, it has nothing to do with any of that. It's just some guy that was really mad. <laughs> it was dumb. <laughs> well, can you imagine passing gas when you're turning into metal? I bet he it was in a bad awesome. mood. I bet he was in a bad mood. <laughs> just put it out there. I don't know. It's just funny because most of the show, you know, most of the episodes that when they deal with revenge, there's actually somebody to have revenge against. And in this, there wasn't really any reason for him to be on a rampage other than he's just crazy. You know, and then they try to, to play it off like, you know, oh, you know, that was him not killing the guy was like the you know, what was left of his humanity. It's like, that's lame. Well, it was, stupid. yeah. <laughs> The writer's room had a really bad day that day, so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just lackluster by far. Yeah. So I can see why we're not talking about <laughs> these two the most. <laughs> so if nobody has else has anything else to say on those no. two, let's uh, go on to Badlar. Badgini! We, uh, we watched this earlier, and oh. I, I let me just say, b before you set the episode up, that watching watching this in HD was traumatic. It was, like, it was awesome. It was traumatic. I was like, I I don't remember the guy bleeding from his anus all over the couch. Like, it was it was like disgusting. Like my stomach was, was oh god. Like I had stomach cramps for twenty minutes afterwards. To be fair, it's not that graphic. There is blood pools, but you don't see where it comes from. Well, no, yeah, but you but assume you it. You see it, like, <laughs> you see it um, not drip, but you kind of like stream down the couch, like his leg and the couch or whatever. It's, oh God. It's just, anyway. just, just move on. Just yeah. move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that That's the only part of the episode that was actually good. Yeah, I loved it. He's like, let's not talk about anything but this opening scene. Well, that, because that was the best like the rest of the episode i'm like yeah whatever it sucks but the thing going into his ass and then like later him bleeding out it was it was great and, and then, then she's his... like having to do the autopsy oh my god dude You're like oh my god when, when doggy walks in and scully is up in the guy's ass i was just like <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that had to be the funniest shot ever and yet neither were laughing everything was all serious like the outtakes from that one scene it had to be, I mean, just so funny. It's, well, yeah. it's kind of a weird episode tonally because you have the you have the bellhop in the teaser sequence who's like mm -hmm. being all chipper and stuff like he's just walked out of a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> and, and then the guy bleeds out all over the bed, like you were saying. Yeah. And um, you even have that line that Doggett says in there, in my experience, dead men don't tip. Yeah. Well, because Scully <laughs> discovers that... Um, you know, of course, Doggett thinks she's crazy because she's she discovers that his based on liver temp and decomposition that he's actually been dead longer, like before he arrived on the the flight from India. So the time of death is placing his death at, you know, before when the guy you know supposedly died. So yeah, he thinks she's crazy. 
So, but she's not because the butt genie killed the guy. And then <laughs> assumed, see, and then like, assumed his identity via his <laughs> asshole for the next however long. It's, it's his USB plug, you know. That's how. It, <laughs> I like to it's, think of this episode as what happens when you really piss off Willy Wonka. Oh God! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I noticed about this one, too, is, like, I don't think I remember him being the the character. Like, yeah. Yeah. I love that actor. I mean, he's been in, like, nearly everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Star Wars, so that was that great connection. So, and I love him in Eastbound and Down. I could talk just about him the entire time. I, he's great. Okay. No. <laughs> what? He was in Star I, uh... Wars, Abby. Star Wars. Look, look, unless you're talking about four, five, and six, I don't want to know. Like, I don't really want to know. Like, for me, the other three don't exist. And, like, he was in Return of the Jedi. I'm really dubious about seven. He was in Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. Droopy McCool. You know, the band he played, he was uh, that, like, I played the the Woodwind, the uh, theme with Jabba the Hutt, the band. Okay. Then yeah. we, okay. Then we can talk about it, but not today. And then he was in <laughs> and down, and, and when uh, the second season, when they're like in when he was in Mexico, and he's like, oh <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, I love yeah, it. Let me just. Garrett actor. loves Eastbound and Down, which is humorous for us, for Abby and I, David, because we know one of the actors that's in it, okay. um, and she's naked a lot, and so it's. Oh, why? It's, it's, awkward. Like show. it's super <laughs> awkward because <laughs> we, we know her and then Garrett's like, this is the best show ever. And I'm just like, I, I know this girl and I'm seeing her boobs. Um, but yeah, anyway, moving along. I love how Garrett's like all about the John Scheiben love right now. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I love this episode so much. <laughs> Because this episode is one that's often pointed to as being kind of a turning point, or at least being a bit of a shift in the eighth season. And it's the one, you know, where at the end of the episode, Scully has to shoot the kid. Yeah. Even though, yeah. you know, she's not 100% sure she believes that it is actually the monster yeah. disguising but, itself. Yeah, but Mulder would believe that that's the guy. And Yeah, she makes yeah. that leap. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it's definitely a turning point as well in terms of... Like I said, we've been through this whole run of standalone episodes, and they've been very sort of procedural, which has allowed Doggett to show off his strengths. You know, mm-hmm. he's obviously in his element with those, and we're about to start going into, you know, Mulder's coming back in the next episode, and then we're going to start hitting up some of these mythology things now. So it's really a season of two halves, and, and let's talk a bit about, you know, Scully's sort of transformation this season, because... You know, we haven't even gotten into her pregnancy or anything at this point. It's, it's been kind of her dealing with, in a way, keeping up Mulder's quest on the X-Files, even though she's not 100% sure that she believes any of this stuff, which makes you think, okay, well, why has she been there for eight years? And I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys could come up with some alternative suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> because she's doing him, obviously. No. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, why else would she stick around all that time? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Government pension. I'm just saying yeah. from sure. season six forward, but anyway. <laughs> We're going to get to that in like yeah, two episodes or three episodes. 
<laughs> so I mean, she she's really sort of been forcing herself to to sort of fill his shoes this whole season. Um, you know, in without she's talking about the bounty hunter that can shapeshift and. Um, you know, she's taking all of these leaps and stuff and it's kind of interesting that when, when she does take that really big leap at the end of this episode, she kind of reverts back a little bit to uh, not quite trusting that side of what she's trying to do. She, she's maybe going a bit more back to her own instincts after this episode. I think she really feels his absence and... You know, for her, she's kind of trying to keep him alive in a way or honor him in a way by, um, or, or maybe just as a way to comfort herself by trying to see things the way that he sees things. And especially considering she doesn't know if she can get him back or when, and now she's carrying his child. I mean, she's got this very strong connection to him. And I think that is really playing into how she's perceiving these cases now. Um, and, and now Doggett is the counterbalance. So she's kind of naturally going more towards Mulder's territory because Doggett is there to be her, essentially. And I feel like it's also a way of, like, I mean, she might not want to accept that he might be dead. And it's through the years, yeah, she stuck with him. And, like, but while there were moments where obviously she took him seriously. There were other moments where she was, you know, humoring him all the time for whatever reason. And now it's a time where, like, those instances where she would just humor him, they had another weight on her life. Like, now there's no longer that allowance to just be light about this job because I need to learn to appreciate all the moments that I didn't actually give enough appreciation in the past and now he's gone and now I don't have him so just like yeah. Tiffany said it's like that connection now is kind of gone but like it she's it it's her way to like yeah protect his work because it's right now the only tangible quote-unquote way that she has to you know keep his memory alive and keep his yeah. presence alive in her in her life and in, in in what his quest is regardless of the fact that the one thing that actually drove him had already been resolved by, you know, finding out what happened to Samantha. But it's that search for the truth that is larger than life. And, like, even smaller things like this one, even, and especially because of her emotional state being a pregnant woman, mm -hmm. then everything is heightened. Yeah. Um... My take, like, I would have liked the whole pregnancy stuff to be handled different through the season. Like, I mean, I love that in Rut Runners we get a glimpse of that worry and all this stuff. But, like, I feel, um, especially because this, even when they were so talented, this writer's room is male-dominated. There were so many things that in terms of character development that it just they just were missed opportunities that could have been a lot into exploration even to like how much of an exile it is to be pregnant because like yeah. that's an exile in itself like you're like <laughs> fucking growing someone inside of you so especially like, her pregnancy <laughs> yeah so you know 
I feel like not only like it, this episode didn't take didn't take advantage of that. The ones before that one I didn't either. So I don't know. For me, that's kind of even though people were like sick of like oh my god the baby's special and like all the stuff and like it's all about the baby i actually don't think that that attention was evenly distributed where it should have been and and that's that's actually my biggest grudge about seasons eight even though i yeah love it well because you really don't have it after roadrunners until permanum yeah um medusa has a little bit but like a little bit yeah well, yeah, via negative, I think you had that brief moment because she's not there on the case because she's not feeling well or she's taking personal time, I think is what they say. Yeah. And Doggett sees that she's in the hospital. Yeah. But that's that's kind of all, yeah. And there's no context given to that other than... Yeah, but it's it's the outside look of it. Yes. No one yeah, yeah, really yeah. dip-toes into anything, into what happens, into, like, nothing. Like, we don't actually know what being pregnant with William meant like you're carrying a child that it's kind of alien so did that make the pregnancy different no one actually said anything i mean so and i mean i i can see the point where you don't want to reveal your hand into because you you haven't made a choice of what you want this kid to be and you don't want to reveal your hand into like saying that the kid has powers but at the same time you know even a normal pregnancy would have been explain better in any other show i think i'm sorry frank (laughs) 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 gonna get fired (laughs) so okay um let's go back to then scully as the skeptic and docket as the skeptic um scully saw aliens run past her she was abducted she was kidnapped and taken aboard a UFO buried in Antarctica, and yet she still refused to believe. She remained steadfast in her skepticism. Doggett was eaten and vomited up, and the same thing goes. He just refuses to believe in this darn paranormal stuff. Right, but that happened the episode after. Yes, that was, that was my segue. I've yeah, kind okay. of stepped all over Sorry. <laughs> well, you better give a girl... A head top, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, my other segue was going to be from one gross bodily function to another. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, that it's so unbelievable that someone could eat you and vomit you a new body. That I, I'm kind of with Doggett on this one. Like, what the hell? You know? I, it. I don't know. Yeah, I... The, Season 8 and 9 kind of go into some weird sort of territory, you know. Via yeah. Negativa, this one, um, Audrey fucking Pauly in Season <laughs> 9. You better take that back now. <laughs> it's, been, it's been years since I've seen that episode. You're so, going to take it back now. So let's just... I'll reserve judgment. We'll talk about that when we come to it. Because you take it back. Can, now. I, can I say 4D? No. Okay, well, okay. We'll, we'll get to Season 9. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I think, um, yeah. How did Garrett? Wa- Garrett and I watched this one today, sort of on like fast forward. But this is one I know he liked this because of the whole Soul Eater thing. But it's a pretty well, good yeah, episode. Yeah, it had the long in it. <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah, and that. But it's a good episode in other terms, though, because 
I mean, it's again revisiting that topic of just how much was Mulder lying to Scully before uh, he yeah. left. That's true. So was he really lying to her? Was he really going to die? Like, what was the deal? And that is actually never revisited. I know, so. which you mentioned, you know, Scully's pregnancy being the issue in season eight, and I agree, but it really irritates me that Mulder's whole brain thing is just like, you find out in the gift that he's been lying for a long time, you know? So, I mean, you kind of knew it before. Well, I guess you know it after this, um, but anyway, it's just, I don't know. I don't know that I like that because there's not really a lot of attention given to it. So, you just get glimpses. Well, this is something that we talked about before, that, you know, historically the show hasn't dealt really well with um, character um, continuity from one episode to another. That something will happen and it'll kind of get sort of brushed off at the end of that episode, never to be mentioned again. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously some strands that do continue going on, maybe through the mythology episodes. Um, you know, um, Piper Maru is a good example of that, where Melissa's killer, that storyline comes back, and Scully, we see, is still struggling with that. And, you know, things like that kind of keep cropping up throughout the show, but there's never any real sense that from one episode to, ne- to the next, things are really impacted that much. You know, some exceptions to the rule, but... Season 8 is one where, and season 9, where, you know, you have this character, continuity is maybe, is done as it should have perhaps been done throughout, and it just seems out of place just because we're not used to it that much. So, you know, what you see here in the flashbacks with Mulder and trying to kind of have that story, I I can kind of understand the writers sort of saying, okay, it kind of served its purpose here, we don't need to then touch on it again, because that's what they've always sort of done but it doesn't then fit with what now season eight is with the whole pregnancy storyline and uh, Mulder being missing they kind of do need to develop that a little bit more than they did Um, but that aside I think that this is a good episode it it works as a really good standalone it it gives Doggett something to do and it's just it feels like an old-fashioned X-Files yeah. I, what I like about the gift actually is the end when Skinner and Doggett are talking because Skinner is trying to convince him, um, you know, that he doesn't need to file that report, that it would be better for him and especially better for Scully if he didn't. And Skinner's like, you know, why would you want to bring all of that on yourself? Why would you want to bring all of that on her? And Doggett replies that because it's the truth, because he wants the truth. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting. Uh, turn for his character because now Doggett is stepping into Mulder's position in that in that phrase. You know, he's he's willing to kind of um, lose face if it's getting at the truth, but what he's not willing to do is put Scully at risk, which is why he doesn't file a report. Gareth, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, well, I liked it. I mean, I don't know. I'm always sensitive to, like, this kind of um, thing where they inverse, like, the monster person dichotomy um you know because like i really one of my favorite episodes is um what is it hungry yeah um you know where the monster isn't really a monster 
You know, I mean, like, the Soul Eater obviously wasn't the bad guy in this case. It was the village as a whole, you know, and so that really enjoyed. And, I mean, I think this is the first episode that really highlighted Doggett and, you know, what the show was going to be like with him in it. And I think they did a good job with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Garrett loves Frank Spotnitz and Kim Manners. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah. I don't know. It was it was good because it could have gone a lot of different ways. I mean, they it obviously could have just focused straight up on um, you know the Mulder part and just really knocked Doggett out of the way. But I mean, they gave him you know a real story. I mean, they gave him a real chance to kind of shine and you know did a great job with it. And I think, uh, you know, that was what kind of pulled season eight back into being a decent season. So, yeah, I think this is go. one of the one of the good episodes that kind of deals with the whole Mulder as sort of this absent center, as Chris Carter likes to say. Um, I don't think that it always works. I don't think it has always worked <laughs> so far, but this one, it, it kind of does because it's an investigation as to yeah, you know, something specific in terms of what he was actually doing during this period, why he was actually there, rather than wandering around in the desert going, he's not here. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other thing I want to touch on for this one, and then we will move on, I promise. Um, and this is actually something I found on Wikipedia. I forget where it's actually from before that, but um, just sort of saying that as the Exos entered into its eighth season, human resurrection and salvation, as well as disease, suffering, and healing, became an increasingly central focus of the show's themes. And uh, I think that that is true. And I think it's something that you know fans of the show can see that both Chris and Frank had been interested in for a while previous to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes very obvious uh, in the final two seasons of the show. My problem is I don't think it's maybe dealt with as gracefully as it had been previously. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it all just becomes a bit too sort of on the nose and a bit sort of overtly uh, Christian because obviously that's kind of the message that, that Chris is moving more towards. And I think that that's one reason why I want to believe as much as it's not the film that most people wanted it to be. It actually handles those themes and that idea really, really well. And it leaves things on that kind of note that it's up to the audience to decide what it means, which is what was one of the strong qualities of the show's earlier seasons. (laughs) No response to that. Anybody? Crickets. Crickets. Yeah, I I think that... um... I want to believe certainly takes the religious elements and weaves them in in a very good way. And it lets the audience decide whether or not um, those things are at work or or whether or not just the belief in them is enough. I just, I mean, the thing too is that it's funny because a lot of these writers that are in, in the room at this time of the show most of them are self-proclaimed non-believers or not yeah. affiliated with any religion. Yeah. And, um, and some of them do believe in, you know, there's a higher power and, and all that stuff, but none of them are actually part of, like, a structured religion per se. So it's funny that, 
you know, it's taking away from those themes, but at the same time, um, which is really funny, it's being written by people that don't particularly, you know, abide to those themes. So perhaps that's the main issue that whenever you write, the first thing that they tell you is like, no, you know, you write what you know. And perhaps they they were trying to get to the right point, but because they don't know per se what it feels to be that person, then it fell short in that sense. I don't know. For me, I, I mean, I saw Scully's quest and her beliefs being challenged all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, you know, impossible how much, you know, Mulder would be open to believe in anything but religion. And and then you would have Doggett, who's uh, so straight-cut and, like, such a Catholic kind of man, if, if you were to give him a religion. And Robert Patrick, like, in real life, it's that way. Um, so it's it's a thing where, like, you don't know where they were trying to ease the work into trying to get the people, the actors to marry with their characters a lot faster or they just made a piece with the fact with, you know, the, the whole thing of <sighs> Scully's motivation being more religious-based than plain belief-based as Smulders was. But I think that at the end of the day, whenever they tried to, like, reach the end of season nine, they were already going back to that belief and... I wish we would have gotten a season 10 right after so that we knew what we're getting. Let's go on to Medusa then. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or as I like like to call it, Jaws in a Subway. (laughs) (laughs) I like this episode. It's a fun episode. It is. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that makes it a great episode. I don't. Maybe it's just it's one just of the Scully more memorable Yelling. ones. Yeah, it's. Yeah, that's what makes it great. She's and Doggett refers to her like when they're down there and and having to move on rather than come back up to the surface. There, he's like, you know, we move forward, and one of the guys is like, says who, and Doggett says, says the boss. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really I think what makes this episode for uh, me probably is that Scully's just bossing everybody around the entire time. But anyway, go ahead, David. <laughs> I really don't have many notes on this one at all. <laughs> Other than, you know, it, 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 there's nothing really special about it, but it's just a clean, straightforward episode. It gets the job done. Um, it's, it's X-Files as steak and vodka. You know, it's just simple. It's, that's what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's not too complicated, even though, like, for an X-Files is actually pretty believable, you know? Like, oh, okay, it's, you know, I can see that happening, but, like, it actually, that's the thing with this episode. Okay, fine, that there's, you know, the Medusas and the salt water and all this stuff and, like, the people. I could actually see all of this happening, especially in Venezuela. <laughs> but, like, yeah. Yeah. Garrett, anything? I have no comment on this episode. <laughs> I don't really remember it. 
And then she was describing to me, I'm like, I have no clue what the heck this episode is. And then we kind of fast-watched it, and I was like, yeah. this... I mean, the monster wasn't really a monster, and it didn't really strike me as, like, that great from that standpoint. So I don't know if it was that climatic, but then again, I didn't, like, overly, like, focus on their relationship or anything like that. I, I, it was a decent episode from kind of quick watching it again, but I wasn't really enlightened in any way. I just kept fast-forwarding for him to all the parts of Scully yelling. Yeah. So I was like, this happens, and then Scully yells. Okay, and then this happens, and then Scully's yelling some more, and then this happens, and, you know. So, uh, I mean, you have the cool part of Doggett, like, figuring out how to use the electricity from the tracks to kill the thing, uh, which is kind of funny, because in the end, he's like, all right, let's get these guys, you know, let's put people in jail, and Scully's like, we can't. You know, he's like, what do you mean? Well, there's no proof. You destroyed all of the proof. When you set off that, you know, kind of explosion with the uh, on the tracks, so yeah, so Docket saves everyone, but at the same time, there's not any evidence to show. So that that really puts Docket in Mulder's uh, zone right there, because that happens to Mulder all the time. Her uh-huh. menum. Okay, so on to two episodes now, then, which I'm guessing is the reason why everyone's been so quiet so far, because you're just gonna unload on me with these two. <laughs> We've been saving it. Yes. We've been, so, this is the part where David and Garrett tune out. So before that happens, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna uh, poke you with a bit of a stick to make sure that you do talk for a little. Oh bit. my god. We're gonna fall for it. And okay, so we're halfway through the season now, and you know, as I said, we've kind of crossed that threshold from the procedural standalones of the first half into more of the mythology. So, uh, Scully's pregnancy is now starting to be addressed and this is the episode where we're going to do it. And they're trying to sort of... You, you can see as this episode goes on, they're trying to get the pieces in place here to set up a new mythology that's going to carry us through the rest of this season and beyond and you know eventually into the whole Super Soldiers saga. Um, but you, are, you, know, you can kind of see that they're not really sure where they want to take it at this point. Um, this episode is supposed to be kind of scary in terms of you know dealing with Scully's pregnancy and the whole Rosemary's Baby kind of thing of what is this thing that's growing inside her. But I think it doesn't really work for me on that level. <laughs> I think that um, Terms of Endearment maybe actually did that a little bit better that kind of um, storyline. Um, and th- 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 the main problem that I have with this episode is the same sort of problem that I have with a lot of the mythology stuff in season eight and season nine. And I was trying to articulate it earlier so that I could do it here now. And I think the <laughs> problem is that there's no real sense of any antagonist at all. The, you know, in the past we've had the syndicate, we've had cigarette smoking man. In going forward at this point, we don't really have any sort of individual at all that we can address or that we can consider to be the bad guy. It's all very much um, in, in this episode. You know, you have the bunch of doctors who are all seemingly involved in this thing, but there's no real cohesive sense of organization between them. It's just like they're all independent drone bees who happen to be doing the same thing. And that, 
you know, Null Roar is obviously intended to be some sort of connective tissue between all of this new mythology that's there. But you, I don't know, you just don't get the sense that there's any sort of brain trust that's masterminding all of this new mythology. There's no... It, it's just kind of like there's there's all these bad people out there and they're all kind of um, doing nefarious things, but there's no sort of sense that it's all part of a whole. Well, I think it's also... But that's intentional. Because at some point it was decided whether it was on, on camera or not, that the, the whole model of having the group that mandated over everyone was no longer what the alien race was going for. I mean, these people are, it's more like a systemic entity that spread, spreads as a you know, mindset. And you do it, and you see it on also at the end of season eight whenever Willem is born, because all these people go there just for, you know, psychic connection or whatever it is that you want to call it. But that's, I don't think it was too important to the writers at, at, at any point in season eight to actually have a face to the enemy because then they had enough enemies within themselves. Like, I mean, there was so much doubt with Scully knowing if, Mulder had been really abducted or had he just left or had he just died and didn't want her to see him die uh, with, you know, Doggett getting acquainted with Scully and all of his beliefs getting challenged. So at the, at, while you didn't have a smoking man to blame all these things on, at the same time, everyone was each one's worst enemy because no one was feeling safe and no one really knew what they were fearing which if you really nail it down into that way if you really went all in for that it would have been great because then it's like basically everyone lost center once that Mulder who was the quote-unquote leader of this operation was gone and that's natural uh, because even though Scully did have a lot of power and she, she really is, you know, she takes her, her own lead and she takes her own stuff. At the end of the day, Mulder was always the one that was setting the pace. So it's natural in that way. I just think that, just like you said, that they were like trying to figure out and they were kind of afraid to take steps that were too harsh into like, you know, claiming something that probably wasn't very, you know, popular back then. Today, have you written season eight and like how people are too so much into mindfulness and into like exploring themselves and going to therapy and all this stuff? Probably you had claimed that stake today, and no one would have even looked the other way. Yeah, I, I mean, I like what you're saying there about you know the fact that there is no face to this. There's just this stuff that's going on between people, and you know thematically that works really well with what's going on in the world right now um that you know back in the 50s you had the invasion of the body snatchers with the whole fear of communism mm -hmm. that's a really you know what you described is a really good parallel with what's going on with isis and everything right now mm -hmm. in that there's something that's out there but it's so intangible mm -hmm. i just don't think it, it really works as great storytelling and 
and I hate the fact that I'm saying that because you know I've read all the screenwriting books and stuff like that and I've railed against the idea of you've got to have a protagonist and an antagonist there's got to be different ways of doing that but uh, this is not the poster boy for that argument I but this think. is but this is what I'm saying like back then you had to work by that model the one that where you have a bad guy you have a good guy you have identifiable sources but right now you have shows like Homeland and you have shows like Man in the High Castle, for example, that you are not sure of who is the bad guy anymore. There's no actual oh, thing yeah, to anything. So that, it was probably not well articulated, like you said, but it wasn't altogether a bad idea. It was just, it was not, there was never one episode that I could say, this is the one episode where they tried to establish what, how the super soldiers actually worked within, you know, their mm -hmm. own world. Because we had several where we knew how the syndicate would work. Like, they had all these people that were kind of the heads, and they had the cigarette-smoking man that even though he, he like, liked to think that he was, the, you know, the owner of everything, at the end of the day, they all saw him as some sort of lackey. And, and then there were so many other instances where, you know... You knew this world very well, but they never actually took the time to do this with the new government, quote unquote, that they were right. having. Kind of like the new syndicate. Because yeah. you're used to it, and that's really where, per man, I mean, the fear or the antagonist is the government. It is this new kind of fangled syndicate where they're obviously manipulating women's biology and making alien babies and using them to study and all of this stuff, but you're not, you're so used to the syndicate part of the X-Files that you're not quite piecing together that this is the evolution of that. Oh, no, absolutely. And then you have, you know, Noel Rohr is the perfect example of that because, you know, he was he's what Krychek would be if Krychek was, was an establishment guy who came up through the military and then went into the government mm -hmm. because... You know, that's that's kind of what you're saying in season eight, season nine. The there are no bad guys. It's more that there are there is evil running through these institutions. You know, right? And, you know, that's why we see in season nine that the FBI itself kind of becomes the enemy in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, it does. Um, and I, I don't know. I just I just feel like it, it's kind of problematic storytelling and. In the mythology episodes, there's you don't have that same sense that you had in earlier years, where there's a whole lot going on. You kind of have these people rattling around trying to figure out what's going on, but because there's no driving force behind um, all of these nefarious deeds, there's very little for them to be able to connect the dots as they had done in the past. They can kind of just experience stuff that's going on. But then I don't think that this episode is meant to do that. I no, think this and, and, I'm, and I'm is... kind of touching on, you know, what's coming up in This Is Not Happening and, and some subsequent mm -hmm. episodes as well. I'm just kind of using this as a springboard into sort of discussing my problems with with the latter <laughs> two seasons of mythology. So uh, we can get back to Per Manum, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why do you like Per Manum, Abby? <laughs> Well, I like that. I, I mean, I like it or I don't like it. I like it because it kind of gives an insight into their relationship that we actually never saw. 
Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, because of, you know, reality being what it is, you kind of can pinpoint really well when the events and the flashbacks happened. And these flashbacks are like the motive of so many fights within the fandom because yeah. no one can really pinpoint where they happen. And they might, they could be season five, they could be season six, they could be at some point in season seven, even though the hair doesn't match any point of season seven. Um, and the, the suits are more season six, and that's where I'm going, and that's what Frank says. But, you know, like, <laughs> and that's, you know, final word for me. I don't know about the rest of you. But, like, I mean, the thing for me is that this is the one episode where we actually get an insight in, like, how does pregnant Scully look like? How does mother Scully, Scully look like? And it's like the one moment where like oh, you wish she, you know I mean she's vulnerable and she has like all these things that are you know happening and that at the same time they're just, you know, so important to explain but I, I swear that I'm with you on the sense that I wish I knew a little bit more about what the objective of the new enemy is so that I knew what the threat about having, you know, no ruler there involved and him being a former body of Doggett. Because that was the other thing for me. At some point during this episode, whenever, I, you know, you start questioning, you start questioning no ruler, for me, the next step would be, like, if this guy it's no good, then how do we know that Doggett is up to any good? Like, could he be actually just playing everyone here? That would have been a great take to act. To take. Yeah, it really would have been. They didn't yeah. do that, but they that would have been off. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no way. You guys are crazy. Why? I love Doggett, and he has to be the good guy. It's important no, that he's the good I'm not. Guy. I'm not saying that he didn't. He didn't have to be the good guy. I'm saying someone doubt him. Should have questioned him. Yeah. 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 No. No. I like him too much. Yeah. No. Yeah, because he's always going to be the stranger, and by putting that doubt there, you're actually relieving the pressure on so many issues that people had with this. You know him overtaking David Duchovny's thing. Like, that was yet another mess opportunity that I could have taken into, like, yeah, we're all with you guys, and, like, we're never going to be completely comparable with this thing. But instead, we went with, like, he's the good guy, and then no one actually questioned his loyalty ever again after he went and, I don't know, carried her out of a hospital room in episode two of this season. So, you know, it, for me, yeah. it was like a good opportunity that was missed. Other than that, the episode for me, it, it's actually, you know, it's redeeming in the fact that, you know, um, it allows for the things that I said earlier on in this podcast that I needed to be explored. But I wish they would have explored you know, this person to many episodes instead of having this one episode. Yeah, you know? I agree. And, and, you know, it's great. It presents characters that are going to come back later on. Um, characters that I wish, I, I feared a lot more 
at some point because definitely I wouldn't want my doctor poking around anything with like alien stuff inside of me. But like, you know, I mean, we we don't we only see Doctor Parente again on Essence slash Existence, and that I feel like had they planned this thing better. I'm sorry, but what's, like it would have been better. Yeah, Garrett, okay, uh, I want to pitch something here, Garrett. Okay. What if they did an episode where Frohickey and Byers go to New York and they sort of dig around in Doggett's history, trying to find what happens. And Langley could have even been killed during the course of it, if that makes you happy. What? No, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no. Why no, do you I mean... want to kill the London man? I don't. Garrett does. He hates Langley. Well, he is the uh... crappiest of all of them, by and large. Sorry. And I'm okay with his death in general. Um... <laughs> but no. I, yeah. I mean, he's the Boy Scout. I... I... I mean, I get the kind of drive there, but it just can't be dogged. I mean, you've got to imagine, though, that the Lone Gunner probably must have done some sort of yeah. check-in on him to appease oh, Scully yeah. at mean, some point. It's just, I, I like what Abby's saying, though, you know, that they went so far to make everybody like Doggett and get him on side. Yeah. It would have been kind of cathartic if we had some moment where we doubted that. And even oh. with all the blatant... You know, it would have kind of made up for oh. all of that heavy-handedness of <laughs> him saving Scully time and time again in oh. the early parts of this season. If we'd had some moment where we kind yeah. of doubted I that, yeah. I mean, it could have been it, a good thing. suffered from not knowing where they were going. And I mean, I think this episode is just a bigger part of that. You know, not knowing exactly how they're going to continue. And I don't know. It can't be dogged. It had to be Reyes. They... No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Let's talk okay. about. Uh, let's talk about this is not happening real quick. And okay. I've kind of touched on it a little bit already. Um, Skipping ahead, we didn't talk about Noel Roar. He's the best character in the entire world. <laughs> okay, explain. I just I don't know. I love him because it's because he's a Baldwin, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's because of Firefly. Let's be honest. It's not just because of that. I mean, he is a great. Like counterpoint to Doggett, they're like friends, but not friends. And I like that. Really? Like, See, that's the thing. Adam Adam Baldwin playing anything else but Adam Baldwin will be great. But when Adam Baldwin <laughs> plays Adam Baldwin, it's <laughs> awful, man. Like you just want to run away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my two cents about no more. I do too. I mean, I enjoy him a lot in Firefly. I enjoyed him as No Roar. I enjoyed him as a Slaughter and, and Castle. Yeah. But like for real, I mean, it's one of those rare moments when I'm like, yeah, your characters, even though they're not all that intellectually high, they're <laughs> much better. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, better than the real thing. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's like, I mean, it's it, where, like, I mean, I followed him on Twitter for the longest time, and it, he's the kind of person that is a bully, and he starts fights with people, and, and, and I mean, it's, it's so, 
it, it speaks of his ability as an actor because I would never believe that he's this person in real life. So, yeah, you're a great actor. But, yeah. His character in the show is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's great. I mean, it, yeah. It's anyway. threatening. It's very she threatening. She likes his characters. She just doesn't like him. When well, it's he's not, not just his character. It's his character's relationship to Doggett. I mean, they I mean, kind of started, like, sexually now people that were really good to where the show could actually go on without the original cast. They really, really wanted to. Ah, uh, that's true. That's and then they kind of, like, killed them. <laughs> Poorly. Could you imagine, like, like season 10 with... Well, he didn't, get, he, didn't get, he didn't get killed. He was yeah, a and like older. So. Lucy Lawless. No, he got killed. He gets, he gets killed by the magnetite, right? Oh, well, at the very, very, oh, very end. But, yeah. yeah. But, 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 but... But the thing is that you don't you don't really know how if there's just the one no roar or there's other no roar. Ah, he could be a clone and a super soldier. No, no. well hold on, hold on. Yeah, no. There are yep. no clone super soldiers. No, it would well, be amazing. Well, dude, this, what are you talking about? Of course it can be. No, 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 no. The super soldiers are completely different. No, but you they're yeah, they're biologically manipulated. Why couldn't you be a cloned super yeah. soldier? Because that would be dumb. No, that would be what, amazing. What? That the would whole be concept of super soldiers is—they were gone. real people that yes. were drafted out of the Bravo company, right? Right, right. and transformed using the alien hybrid human. Right, but they so the, uh, cloned the, them and then transformed the clones. Yeah. No. This could yeah, work. The, the, the actual. I don't want object, it to work. No, if they bring him like, back, I will cry. No, no, no. But like the actual objective was to have an army of these people, and they weren't gonna be doing like just one at a time. Yeah, there's not they enough people in Bravo. Once Com- they had the real deal, then they were like gonna have a bunch of replicants from them. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, yeah. 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 So like, I don't yeah. want that. I don't like that theory. Abby and I have just written season eleven. Yeah. <laughs> no. me. So, do you I think that? So, okay, connecting the dots here, we could actually be seeing Adam Baldwin playing William in the revival. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, wouldn't it be such a Chris Carter thing to do to like have cloned William and like make him a bad guy eventually? Mm. I would, I, I would totally marry with this idea because yeah. then, like, I don't know. I know that not a whole lot of people were actually well. I'm lying. A lot of people are actually reading season 11, like, but the IDW comics. And there, Gibson Praise grows up to be a very resentful, very vindictive, you know, hybrid alien, whatever he is. And he has taken up upon himself to actually get revenge for all the things that, you know, the syndicate did to him and the, the things that, and a very misplaced, uh, sense of protection over Mulder and Scully, where he doesn't allow him, them to make their own decisions, but actually controls them so that he can, you know, get his way. And the character, even though I only get, you know, 21 pages a week to, you know, try to figure out where Joe Harris is going with this character, I love the idea of Gibson being bad because all these people, and, and it's, Eventually, kind of the idea of how I could marry with the, you know, what yeah. we just talked. <laughs> but, yeah. but, I mean, people just, like, 
at some point they get tired and they turn and they're like, yo, fuck this. I, 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 I'm going to just go with the bad guys because, like, apparently they got it going on. You know, and, well, and especially uh, with him because you know he was given up, and I mean, who yeah. knows what his childhood has been like with his new family, and yeah, yeah, it could happen. Yep. Okay, I've determined to keep this podcast on track. We're not going free hours. <laughs> this is not happening. <laughs> this is not happening. Can't walk away oh, with no. dressing Scully running through the woods. Gary and, does not oh. like how they introduced Reyes. You're walking a Wait, fine line here, Gary. How they okay. introduced her. How they walk- poorly made her character yes. ridiculous. You're, you're walking a very fine line, so be careful as you continue she your was sentence. Part of, she was doing the satanic ritual abuse cases that don't actually exist because they never found any. I mean, that's insane. Well, that's about the same thing of the X-Files. Yeah. They never actually proved anything. Yeah, but I mean, you can see how, like, there's probably several X-Files. You know, I mean, we know that there's cases that Mulder is investigating all this. But, like, how many satanic ritual events occur that they need to have a department devoted to it? She was in New Orleans. You know how much, like, voodoo and shit has been... She was in New Orleans for a short time, though, right? No, 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 no. She was in New York for a little bit. And then New Orleans for a pretty significant amount. Yeah. I thought she was in New York when she... When Luke happened? um, Yeah, but... Yeah, but she was called in because they thought that it had to do something with yeah, with you know, satanic abuse or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why she was called in to Doggett's son's case. Yeah. Oh, she makes me cry, like hardcore cry. <laughs> and it it takes time to like like her as a character. Yeah, they they That's don't fine. really give really, her enough. Well, the players yet. for her is that they needed at this point to push Scully out. And I know that a lot of people hate that idea. Well, the thing is that... Is, no, I, I mean, agree with you. Yeah, it's just that Foggett is such a strong character, and he fits. He's like everything that Mulder wanted to be but wasn't in yeah. a lot of ways. Like, he was I a agree. strong, you know, full, you know like, passionate person. But then Reyes was like Mulder if Mulder believed in anything. No matter how crazy, I mean, like the soda can kill a thousand people. Okay. And she'd be like, yes, I believe that. It makes complete and utter sense. I mean, she just she accepts. <laughs> like that. I mean, she her character accepts the unbelievable, but to the point where it's like it's so absurd and crazy that like nobody would be that crazy, but she is. The problem is she and is she a smiles mixture. about it, and it's like. Yes. Oh, she smells way too much in that first scene. She's a mixture of of Mulder and Scully's sister, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the problem is, like, they never really push it to where the dichotomy between her and Doggett really work. uh, It does, but not until later. This introduction, I agree, this introduction... As an introduction, no. Yeah. As an introduction, it doesn't work, but as you move on with the character, it does begin to work, because she stops being the eager puppy of, like, trying to, like, oh, I I can't solve this, I'm so happy, but, like, now, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know... (laughs) It's just that her her character is painful at first because they just—I don't know. This, I mean, it's just a problem with the show because they needed to write Scully out immediately. I mean, like, but the thing is that they were like, okay, they were doing that, but at the same time, they weren't quite 
writing her out because they hadn't they didn't have final word on Jillian saying if she wanted to stay or not. Yeah. She had a contract signed until the very end of the, the season and she was already negotiating season nine. But they they were preparing but they weren't quite mirroring up with the idea that she was gonna be the replacement. I, I think they were just hampered by you know, the behind the scenes stuff being so up in the air as to yes. What was going to happen? Was this going to be the final season? What was going to happen after this? Are we going to make, you know, are we going to let um, Mulder and Scully run off into the sunset at the end of the season and make a clean break with Doggett and Reyes? Or do we want to keep Scully in it? And there was just, you know, it prevented them from having a plan that yeah. would have made these seasons much better. And as you're sitting there talking, I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, Maybe the answer would have been to just do something completely different from this season. I think as it as it is, it kind of works as a good transition season that would allow them to then take that break with mm-hmm. the start of season nine. But maybe a different way could have been, okay, this show has obviously got just a year or two left. If we're going to keep doing it, let's just do it where each episode just picks up after the previous one. And we just have two, one or two seasons of just a serialized story of building up to this global apocalypse. Yeah. Then they give up the baby, and then you're never going to hear about it again, so... Do we want to talk about the Lone Gunman TV show? Greatest thing ever. And I, <laughs> I, I think whoever decided to cut that and not give more seasons was that the was dumbest fucked. decision ever made. You're welcome. Okay. And the, the show is insane. It, it has everything... <laughs> about it is the most absurd thing you would ever believe but for some reason it worked somehow and i'm not sure why and i but i think it's because byers is the most amazing character ever made <laughs> i'm pretty sure garrett would marry byers i would yeah in a heartbeat favorite episode from the lone gunman oh oh my god i don't remember names <laughs> but the one where they like god what was that one? Oh, that one was a good one the one where they like really delve into Byers' background and like is it the one where like his dad dies or something like that god it's been a long time i just saw that episode too um crap um you know which one i'm talking about like yeah 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 that he does end up not being dead but like yeah and it's like that wonderful moment where Byers is like scared and like sad and yeah. I don't know what the fuck's going on? Yeah, that's the pilot, isn't it? Where they fly into the twin towers? Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the pilot. Oh, is that the pilot? Yeah. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen this. Yes, yeah, that. Yeah. Well, the pilot was great. Yeah, sure. They're totally different tonally from the rest of the show. I think. Oh God! But, yes. Uh, I like the two Tom uh, Schnauz episodes, Madam on Madam, which is the one with the wrestling dwarf, and then the. Yeah. Uh, the tango one where Frohiki oh, was I love that one. a professional <laughs> tango dancer. Which is perfect, right? I mean, they really, I don't know, Frohiki's character is so interesting. <laughs> okay. Quiz time. Alright. Serious now. Question one. In Badla, what clue did Doggett find in the hotel room? <laughs> the, the, the thing... It wasn't the ticket from the flight. No, they knew that already. The thing. <laughs> the ticket from the flight. But no, they knew that already. Um, the 
the trails of the cart, was it? No. No? Hmm. I have no I, idea. I don't know. Nope. A child's handprint. Uh, oh, that's right. You're correct. Thank you. <laughs> Question two. In the gift, where was Mulder's second gun hidden? Oh. Wait, it was in his apartment, right? Uh-huh. Under, uh-huh. under his desk. <laughs> I don't know. No. Under his bathroom vanity. Close. Under his sink. In the bathroom. In a different room? Sure. A different room. (laughs) (laughs) In the kitchen? Underneath the kitchen sink! (laughs) Dang it. Sorry. Took away your thunder. Karen's like, what other room has a sink? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, you could put a sink in another room if you wanted to, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Question three. What is the name of the subway station featured in the teaser for Medusa? So yeah. is it at the very beginning where the guy is there on his little subway uh, headset or whatever. Is it a letter? The M? Mm, no. Is it M? No? No, oh. it's actually uh, the name of a street. Oh, crap. I don't know. I don't know any streets in... Nope. It's in Boston. It's place in Boston. Yeah. yeah. Is it, or is it in Worcester? It's an, it is an actual street and it is an actual station. Union Station? I don't know. <laughs> Let's oh, move man. on. Clay Street Station. Okay, oh, that okay. was way too hard now. <laughs> In Permanon, what was the name of the OBGYN clinic where Duffy Haskell's wife was treated? What? What? Oh my God! The what name, was the name? The name of the clinic. It, um, is that um, Zeus something? Zeus. Was that um, the other one? No, Zeus Genetics was something. Yeah, Zeus Genetics. Was yeah. it? Oh yeah. yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's, I partly got that right. Hey, now I finished it. Where printed it. <laughs> works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is, I, I guess, a nod to the Zeus storage in the Erlenmeyer flask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that because obviously White Buffalo, they couldn't just go with that. But I will complain about that again later, I'm sure. (laughs) Question five. In the teaser for This Is Not Happening, how does Richie describe the movement of the UFO? Um, Like a bat out of hell? It is. Yes. Oh, look at you. (laughs) I want my sticker now. Three out of five. Yay! We yeah. always score three out of five. Yeah, we've never gotten all of them. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten more than I five. think that's a Roy and Jessa thing. And Kava, I think Kava got five out of five one. Yeah. Really? Those whores. They are. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly along. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tiffany, Gout, and Avi, for coming along today. You're welcome. Especially <laughs> Tiffany and Avi after last week's shambolic episode. I'm so glad you came back and this week's shambolics was not my fault. 
Uh, listeners, please go check out xfiles.news for all of your spoiler-free X-Files news. Um, you guys want to give out your Twitter or Facebook or any of that stuff? Oh, uh, well, so it's for Twitter, it's at X-Files News. For Facebook, it's basically facebook.com slash X-Files News. Tumblr, we're also there, xfilesnews.tumblr.com. Uh, we also have a Vine where we feature a lot of people that have been doing very interesting things there. So if you do have some interesting works on Vine, please hit us up via Twitter or something. Um, what else do we have? Oh, and Instagram, of course. So yeah. that's instagram.com slash xfilesnews. So, anything, yeah. Is there anything that's... Um, anything cool coming up between now and the show actually yeah. coming on? Yeah, actually, yeah, we have a contest going on that it's the 100 Pieces Contest. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but every morning we feature one different piece of a puzzle that it's a gigantic puzzle that makes up this very, very cool um, uh, poster designed by P.L. Boucher. If you collect the, the whole 100 pieces that you will be able to buy January 24th and put them in the right order, you will be the winner of a very cool uh, combo of prizes that we've been collecting for the past months. So get on that. There's still plenty of time. You can find that um, that set of pictures following the hashtag on the tweets that we do every day. So you still have time. There's still a month and a half to put it together. So get on that. <laughs> and if anybody has any listener questions that we could answer on a future episode, please send those in. You can, you can go to xfilestalkxfiles.com or you can just hit me up on Facebook or Twitter. I'm David T. Harwood on both of those. Um, even though next Friday is going to be, is actually Christmas Day, uh, we are going to be putting out a new episode, uh, so you've got something to listen to when you want to take a break from all of your relatives who've invaded <laughs> for the season. Uh, I'm actually going to be joined by Jessa and Roy for that one, and we're going to be talking the last bunch of episodes from Season 8, Dead Alive, Through to Existence. Uh, right now, I'm going to head off and I'm going to actually eat my DVD copies of season 8 and 9's <laughs> mythology episodes and then vomit them up in the hope that that makes them better. You are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Because Byers is the most amazing character ever made. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Garrett would marry Byers. I would. Yeah, in a heartbeat. You, you can clip this out, but I would fuck him in the ass because <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I want all my podcasts to happen with Garrett. Please keep it in and just keep those three words. <laughs> well, I mean it in the, like the nicest possible way. Like,
he is the idealist. The nicest like. possible way. <laughs> well, I mean, he's like, he is 